When Jamie Wheel comes on Bulletproof Radio, we always get into some mind-bending topics. And that's why our interview about hedonic engineering ended up being a multi-episode mini-series for you because it was more than would fit in one episode or fit in your head all at one time. We pull apart his book, Recapture the Rapture, Rethinking God's Sex and Death in a World That's Lost Its Mind. So if you care about neuroscience and psychology, listen to these episodes. You're going to like what you hear. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. All right. So we reset our brainstem that way. Or no, that was still um, getting out of beta. And Mm -hmm. what's the brainstem reset part of the recipe? Well, that is just a seeming correlate. Right, because okay. if if you look at the benefits, when folks have been looking, and there's been more and more research in the last few years on <coughs> on both ketamine, nitrous oxide, but also um, trans trans TLNS, so transling trans TDCS. No, no, it's t- oh, tra- uh, translingual, like the translingual neurostimulation. Yeah, that so, is. Where can you do that? I've been wanting that for a long Vancouver. time. Vancouver. Our buddy Ryan Darcy is one of Canada's top TBI neuroscientists, and they are running the phase three clinical trials on the PONS device. And it is Sweet. a tongue paddle. And you, mm-hmm. and, you, and you put it on your tongue because the tongue goes straight to your cranial nerves, of which there's 10. And, and basically what they, fa- they started, the trial is for um, uh, ALS, so literally mm-hmm. like neurodegenerative stuff. But then they also started using it for traumatic brain injuries. And then they started using it for performance enhancing. And what Darcy found was he's like, oh, that stimulation, even if you're like targeting the trigeminal nerve or something really specific for a very focused intervention, you get a global system reset of the brainstem just you know, of, of all the things. And he said it's equivalent to a glitchy computer and you hitting the power off button and then it coming back neutral and, and reorganized. That's cool. Well, we, we found some frequencies uh, that we use to do something similar um, going uh, with electricity on the head. If you play mm-hmm. the right frequencies, you get a, a kind of a reboot thing. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. But I'm going to start licking batteries at home. There you go. It's, 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 it's a scattershot <laughs> approach, but, it, but it's fun while it lasts. And, but, so, and, but, but this is for like, okay, let's go to a Vancouver-based tongue <laughs> neuroscientist or a crazy place in Seattle. Mm-hmm. What do normal people do uh, to reset their brainstem? Well, I mean, um, the interesting thing is that both ketamine and nitrous oxide also do that. Got it. So a little bump of K is what you're saying? Well, I mean, you, you know, working with a doctor, you can get intranasal oxytocin ketamine spray, for instance. Um, I mean, in fact, yeah. we, we, can, we can back it all off. So I, I wrote these protocols stripped of an actual how-to because the actual how-to is just scandalous. So, but, but, but we, we... You're going to have to tell it here, my friend. I, I totally will. I totally will. Um, I've been itching to. I, I, feel, I, I feel like I'm like a Let leprechaun and someone just needs to ask me the appropriate question. Um, but basically, that idea of like, oh, we've got... How do you get into Delta? How do you reset your, your brainstem? And those two things often are paired, right? You are in a brainstem yeah. reset, you often have that experience of delta waves activity, and while you're at it, why not? We, why don't we optimize the other neurochemistry that we've been talking about? Okay. Let's boost vagal nerve tone, right? And vagal nerve tone you can do with fancy subcutaneous little pacemaker devices on your clavicle and various other high tech things. So mm-hmm. there's always those options, or you can massage your throat, you can goggle, you can sing, you can even Tibetan throat singing. Yeah, you can even engage in. I mean, this is why autoerotic asphyxiation 
you know, is a thing. You keep going back to that stuff, man. I, no. I, don't, I know what you're into. <laughs> I know. No, I mean, I'm I'm as vanilla as they come, but I'm but I'm curious. <laughs> That's the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, my, if vanilla is made out of cayenne, you are right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just I'm just without filters and forever curious. That, that's that's <laughs> it. Go. Try um, anything once. I hear you. Yeah. Um, so so then so let let's just finish out the list and then we can talk about a practical. Okay, good deal. Okay, so we got reset your brain, your brain, and then pulse energy. What does that one mean? Yeah, so um, basically anything that loads and stimulates the nervous system. So it could be um, neuro, it could be electricity, t, you know, uh, t, DC or AC. It, yep. it could be percussive vibration, like a theragun or something like that. It could Except be. Except the theragun's noisy and hurts. That's like the lowest end of all dude, the massage percussion devices out there. The, the first Hyperize, ver- that the, thing kicks ass. The first version of the yeah. Theragun sucked, and I told him, I was like, "Guys, this looks like you know, like 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 a like a sawzall fucked a tennis ball. Like, are you guys kidding me? Like, this is the opposite of relaxing." But their new one is badass, and it's super powerful yeah. and quiet. Um, I've not had good experiences with the new one. Uh, really, mostly mostly bruises and uh, unpleasantness. My my kids won't let me use that one on them, so I gave it away. <laughs> uh, but we have several other brands that we that we've had good results with. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, any basically any of those things you can throw in uh, magnetic stimulation. You could throw in um, ultrasound, and you can also throw in any form of uh, sensory stimulation. Both Maybe light therapy that pulses. What do you? What could that? Yeah, I mean, quite possibly. Right. <laughs> well, if one of my companies, um, True Light, uh, uh-huh. we do that, and yeah, yeah, you put that over your gut or your heart, and you feel it. There is there's it. definitely energy pulsing there when you do that. Whole body vibration, certainly. That's one of the things I've been doing for 10 years. And probably just jumping up and down for a while, like doing a bunch of squats is going to do something here, right? Yep. And then, but, and then also pain and then also orgasm. So you're like, okay, okay, so that's a wide spectrum of things to do to both load and then pulse signal through okay. an attuned and primed nervous system, which tends to show up in two ways. At the bodily level, it shows up as, you know, it, it, it's sending signals back and forth. So there's a degree of kind of you know, nerve, um, nerve communication and conductivity and potentially, and this is TBD on the con- confirming the research, but increased myelination. You're just, you know, you're just signaling ping act, you know, back and forth between more of yourself at higher voltage than you would typically. And um, that energy from a subjective perspective almost always includes information. It's not a, it's not a content neutral state. So you're, you're, you're loading that system you're creating a peak experience that you send through your body and brain and it lights up your body and brain and there is a narrative there's there's impressions there's stories there's characters there's insights there's whatever else would be the interior content that is often profoundly valuable and meaningful and very different than our monophasic waking state tired wired and stressed stuck in my ego stories okay I uh, I like that. And pulsing energy, there's so many different ways to do it. So it's hard to say one thing, but we, that was a pretty good exhaustive list. I hope well, actually there will be um, a transcript for people listening. Um, and uh, um, yeah, we'll make sure there's notes for this. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you have engage and align spine, pelvis, limbs, and soft tissue. So is this like functional movement or is this massage? What, what does that mean? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I th yes to all of those things. So anything from uh, Thai massage, where you know, like with partners, you're like leveraging your long bones and providing traction and opening up joint capsules. You could use foam rollers and props and supports. You could engage in static, active, passive stretching. You could, you know, any any of those things that basically gets us out of desk bound, you know, hyper conditioned zoo animals. And one of our uh, functional med docs uh, who works deeply in, you know, fascia sliding surfaces of our body, all of that kind of stuff. Um, she's been doing neurological stimulation of, of people's pelvic floors, men and women, and has found in six years, she has only found one person that had a properly integrated aligned and firing pelvic floor. Yeah, but but I mean, back to back to engage in a line, right? If we think of you know the fascia is arguably, I mean, some folks make the case that it is it is a, a an actual entire bodily organ. So if anybody's ever had raw chicken and you see the little wibbly wobbly bits and that kind of white filmy stuff, that's uh, that's the fascia, and it is typically a sliding surface. But when we get injured, it fuses and knits together to protect that area, and then we heal. But the 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 clump stays so when you see cats and everybody you know and babies you know i, I mean I, I we were massaging our kids and i'm like oh my god you guys feel like veal like like, <laughs> like there's there's no lumps you're not you're not you're not like jerky and so by make you know increasing and and breaking up clogged fascia and increasing the sliding surfaces we literally get back into the present in our bodies and if we take a look at our ligaments and tendons and those kind of things we're effectively like banjos or suspension bridges were just cables and pulleys <laughs> and most of us are massively out of whack predominantly from our sedentary and seated lives so if we change and release and align those things wouldn't you know it there's a psychosomatic component we actually feel different and better and more balanced grounded and aligned and, and if this sounds you know shocking or uh, unusual pretty much every Every one of the the ancient traditions I've done work in, whether it's shamanism or yoga, um, stuff at Tibetan monasteries, how you sit, <laughs> alignment there, there is electrical stuff that flies up your spine. And if it's off, a really good master is going to sit there and say, no, you know, pull your ribs in a quarter inch. And like they're, they're going to move you so you can have a certain experience. And as a, a Westerner uh, growing up, I would have thought that was all complete garbage. It's just they all do it even if they don't know each other and they have for thousands of years, I think because it works. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there's yeah. two more uh, that run there. Breathe in deliberate patterns, which we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Then play powerful music. And we've talked about that to a certain extent, like holotropic breathing, um, you know, movie soundtrack, music, powerful, evocative, rave, any kind of particular powerful music that's best. Well, I mean, obviously stuff you like to listen to, <laughs> but I would say that um, polyrhythmic and syncopated is especially good. So think the same way you talked about that Russian electrical stim, like distracting part of your brain with another part. So if you have jiggy beats, right, where you've got different musical parts doing different things together such that it, it occupies your conscious processing and drops you into trance state. There's a reason that the Grateful Dead had two drummers and a six string bass player for their rhythm section, right? Because then everything that happened on top, like it was all, it was so much going on that under the influence of psychedelics and dancing, right? People would, and then they would be primed for lyrics. So you can go one of two ways on this. You can either go, you know, otherworldly EDM with hyper beats and syncopation. And that mm -hmm. definitely works as a psychotech. And you've been to Burning Man, so you've stood in front of some of those function one sound systems and experienced For quite that, a while. Right. Yeah. And on the other hand, you can go with basically, you know, 
uh, redemption songs, like like songs that work as living scripture, such that if you, if you find yourself transported into a receptive, non-ordinary state, and then comes through lyrics that just unlock like a living Cohen. I mean, it's that old Dylan tune, Tangled Up in Blue, you know, where he sings, he says, every one of them words rang true, they glowed like burning coals, leaping off of every page like they were written in my soul. So those ones, right? You, you know, you, you want to you wanna have the songs that speak to the human condition as you experience it or, or as a genius has phrased it. That works really well too. So I, I would have sworn that bluegrass would be the opposite of all this. And, and I've always freaking hated bluegrass. Like it just makes me want to punch people. Uh -huh. uh, my dad plays bluegrass, but he didn't when I was a kid. So it's not trauma based. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's been a couple times when the music is really complex and maybe I was really tired or something. And all of a sudden I'm like, wow, my brain's doing that thing where it can't keep mm -hmm. track of all the rhythms. So I'm not recommending that. That should be like number 27 on your list of musics to try, but there well, might be something I mean, there. I mean, I'm just, just going to have to stand up and testify, right? I mean, the Tell Telluride Bluegrass Festival, right, has yeah. is a long-standing tradition of that. And then when we went to grad school in Boulder and we lived up in the mountains above Boulder and they would have these full moon, polyethnic Cajun slamgrass throwdowns in these old stage tops. So it was like all the Wookiees would come out of the mountains and it was and it was literally like devil went down to Georgia level shit and everybody's smoking tons of weed out of their trees on mushrooms. Like it was very, very psychedelic. And then, and they would be playing this, these 19th century Celtic tunes, but with an absolute psychedelic bent and that worked too. <laughs> so, so it doesn't all have to be like trip hop EDM. It doesn't have to be space age. There's beautiful and brilliant. I mean, hell man, Ghanaian, like West African polyrhythms. Mm -hmm. Babatunde, you know, Olatunji, like, 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 there's plenty of ripping jams in the world yeah. music tradition. Anything North African is going to be cool. Anything from the Baduan people does that pretty much by default. Yeah. I mean, the ragas, the, the, the Hindu ragas yeah. are staggering, staggeringly potent. They're literally like sonic incantations of deities. And you're like, whoa, whoa, I didn't know music could do that. And then, and, and you actually see them invoked and you learn the story behind that particular raga. And you're like, this is ridiculous psychotech. Like I didn't even know that was possible. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm also getting some feedback from our upgrade collective people. They're saying the Afro Celt sound system mm -hmm. uh, is what we should do. There you go, Gaelic and West African with electronic music. Exactly. I'm so looking this up. That's exactly. Dude, I'll, I'll, I'll the even. Stuff I'll, that I like. I'll save your research. So, so Peter Gabriel. This is a deep cut. Peter Gabriel yeah. did a beautiful tune with them with the Afro Celt sound system. Of course, called, he did. Peter Gabriel's awesome. Called when okay. you're when you're falling, and it's oh wow, bad to the bone. So good. Uh, thanks, Joanna, Jim. That was an amazing find there. I, I'm going to do it. Oh, that was in his real world thing. Uh, okay, I got it. Okay. So now we've got all of our nine points and we've talked, basically you should be having some kinky sex with electricity on your tongue, doing nitrous, K, getting a spanking, listening to music, mm -hmm. um, and aligning your spine while pulsing your energy and getting out of beta waves and taking a bong hit. Yeah, I think I got it all. Pretty much. And, all and, right. 
And but see, but here's the thing, right? What, what this amounts to is partner <laughs> practice because you need a special friend. This is truly friends with or two friends. or three, right? I mean, no. See, I think I think I think we're just not that good at it yet. Like maybe a couple of generations downstream, but I would say that most folks dabbling in poly right now are actually getting pulled off the path. Uh, you're totally right. Uh, I 100 percent agree with you. Um, well, and more to the point, like if you can't, like all I know is this is this is a full tilt project. So here's what it looks like. So here's what it looks like. What it looks like is you have a special friend, you engage in your practice, you create a, a, a bedroom space, candles, music, the normal vibey things, possibly some olfactory stimulation, it clean and sense, that kind of thing. So you've got a nice, rich, sensorial chamber. You engage in the practice, you engage in... And by the way, the sexuality can be pulled completely out of it. You don't have to do it at all. It can be completely close on and just you just back off 50% of the efficacy. But if, you, if you're ready, like we're just talking about the full Monty, we're talking about the full Monty. But if any part of this wigs you out, just don't do that part. And all you have to do is do the other parts longer or more intensely. So that's, that's this kind of sliding scale of like challenge by choice. But basically, yeah, you, you, and then you, you could ingest an edible, do something that, you know, because it takes 30, 40 minutes to kick in. You can engage in uh, sexual arousal. You can engage in soft tissue, body work, all of these kind of things. You can get somebody to edging of orgasm. Then you do a 52.1 protocol where you hyperventilate for 50 breaths. You then take two inhalations of pure oxygen, and then you take one inhalation of nitrous oxide. And then you engage in static apnea, which would be maximum breath hold for the maximum time. And at that point, you can engage in pleasure pain stimulation and potentially um, orgasmic, orgasmic priming while timing that with the peak of kick-ass music. So the drop, right? The drop where the music just gets sideways and super funky. And, and I'm pretty sure we just hit the explicit lyrics thing on iTunes. Yeah, who knows? Um, <laughs> but, but here's what will happen, right? Okay. And this is, this is, we found this out via um, this anesthesiology study at MIT, which is the... And you can, you can also do this with ketamine and oxytocin as well. But the nitrous oxide will put you into a double amplitude waking delta state for 3 to 12 minutes. So basically, you've done all of that loading. You've done all of the things. You've helped, you've helped move and open the body as it's needed and as it's intuitively felt and expressed. And you've, you've sent a peak of energy through that person's nervous system. So you take turns slingshotting each other into a period of weightlessness and thoughtlessness where you actually have access to what we've been loosely just calling as a placeholder, the information layer. Some people would have called that all sorts of metaphysical things, all sorts of religious things, all sorts of cultural things. But we're just like, it's just a super dense place of cognition and perception where you can think anything you want about anything you can think of with a 300 IQ for three to 12 minutes. And you're like, holy shit, why isn't this on the cover of Time magazine? You know, and at the other end of it, you, you're nervous. You've had that global system reboot. You're relaxed. You're aligned. You're often inspired and awestruck, and you're profoundly connected to your traveling partner. And then you take turns and return the favor. And so that is effectively, with a whole bunch of mashups and a whole bunch of liberties taken, is the distillation of death rebirth rituals from around the world from the, for the last 5,000 years. And you're like, holy shit, like, you know, every society has had these death rebirth rituals. Why? Because when we're born the first time, we didn't choose it. 
we, you know, we, unless you believe in some, you know, elaborate, uh, you know, pre, pre-birth selection thing, most of us are just like, holy shit, how did I get here? We get spat out into the world and the world kind of sucks and it's harsh and it's not nearly as friendly as that womb was. And then I have to go to high school and graduate from college. I get kicked out of my house and the, the world's not nearly as friendly as my house was. And, and we're forever getting pushed into this thing we didn't necessarily truly consent to showing up in this world. So many of us try and bypass it. We try and escape it. We get intoxicated. We seek distractions and diversions. We don't, we, we're forever trying to bargain of like, fuck this. I want out. I want better. I want different. And these death rebirth rituals, right, allow us to truly go to that place of dying. It's the closest thing, like that delta wave signature is the closest we can get to a near-death experience, an NDE, without rolling the dice on physical death, which would be a, a dumb, high-risk move. And what that what it offers us is a chance to return to this life, having, having truly stepped away from ourselves and our bodies, and actually come back with choice, with a full fuck yes, to say, you know, and this is Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, this is Jimmy Stewart in A Wonderful Life, this is Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas morning. You, like, we know all the stories, right? Like, you have to go away, you have to be, have your mind blown to come back and go, you mean I get another crack? You mean I actually get to come back to this body of mine that I've been waging war on and hating and all these things and I get to show up for life? And, I, and my sense is, is like, that's the missing piece that we need to share and propagate. That's why I took a ridiculous crack at it in this book, which was if we want to try and become a Megans at the end of time, right? If we want a critical mass of humans who have become fearless, we're no longer just seeking pleasure and avoiding pain from our firstborn life, but we've actually shown up fearless, ballsy, courageous, creative, playful as twice-born humans, right? By choice, that's where we have that, like our ace in the hole is what Martin Luther King called soul force, right? And he's, he's like, when, when, when we can meet, the, when, when we can meet, take or, or rise to the majestic heights of soul force and defeat physical force, right? Then we have a chance. So this is a super specific, but I think critical piece of our global collective challenge and crisis, our culture wars, our meaning crisis, all of these things, which is, hey, we all need to heal ourselves and each other. And here is the most simple, most accessible, most powerful method that humans have ever developed. And here's the cheat codes to everybody. And let's get on this because when we come back into these second into this second try, we we're already dead men walking. We know no one gets out of here alive. I, I think you should have sold the cheat codes to uh, maybe the the next Catholic church or something because they've got all the other cheat codes locked up in the <laughs> Vatican Library that we're not allowed to read. The ones they stole from cultures all over the planet. Um, so exactly. I, I guess I like it. They're open sourcing the cheat codes. That's pretty cool. But there's one thing that comes with that. If you look at say, Tibetan meditation practices, uh, some of the stuff I learned in uh, Nepal uh, in that part of the world. There's like the slow path, and there's the medium path, and then there's the fast path. And they mm -hmm. warn you, yeah, you might get enlightened one lifetime, or you'll go batshit crazy. <laughs> so mm -hmm. even traditional meditation practices, a certain percentage of people who start meditating do not do well. Um, they probably shouldn't meditate, or they shouldn't meditate the way most people do. Yes, uh, so what are the risks of, you know, getting a good spanking on nitrous and <laughs> all the entire list? You know, what if it goes wrong? What do you do? What, what does it look like when it goes wrong? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think, I think Tony Shea, uh, the founder of Zappos, who recently tragically yeah. died, is an example of that. 
Um, you have folks that get, you know, and I actually I make a point of describing this at, after this, the reporting on the study with the couples, because if you get really good at pushing all the buttons that evolution has encoded into us, Rob, the respiration, sexuality, embodiment, substances, music, you're at first, you're like, gee whiz, does this work? <laughs> you know, and then you're like, oh shit, it totally works. Just like Danny Deckchair, you know, like that that Australian who built put all the helium balloons on his on his lawn chair, and it's like, holy fuck, I'm twenty thousand feet off the ground, right? There's definitely that happens, and so physical addiction is one thing, psychological addiction is another, but the third, which I think is really important in relationship to like getting access to that information layer, is ontological addiction, which is holy shit, I I've got the galactic magic eight ball. Right, I, I have I have access, or, or or you know the Palantir seeing stone in, in the Lord of the Rings, right? Like I'm I am seeing things that are critically important, and one of the key wobblies that always gets people is, and I'm critically important, and I need to keep coming back here to get the rest of the message, and that undoes a lot of intrepid travelers. So it, it feels essential to be done in community, in relationship, and in connection to the rest of our lives and to what matters most. If it's just seeking, for instance, like I never feel comfortable sharing this with untethered males. I don't, I, there are so yeah. many dudes who aren't grounded by a good woman or a good partner who are just seeking knowledge for knowledge's sake. And I would say that's squarely in your category of the ones that come unglued. Um, and the other is, you know, an ethic and a care and a concern, which is in service of what? Because it's so easy, like the pretty lights are so stunning and so endlessly diverting that it's incredibly tempting to forget what we came for. It's sort of like, you know, it's like the party at the end of time is almost like, you know, and Burning Man's a good example, right? You could you could make a case, right? That, that it's got all the things <laughs> and it is the baddest ass throwdown possible, but actually that raucous ecstatic celebratory side of it is a is a symptom it's not the point the point is opening up portals in non-ordinary consciousness and awareness that allow us to remember what we forgot and allow us to heal and integrate and allow us to connect and if you get sidetracked by the carnival then you just spin off into the hell yeah. realms of of sensation seeking, and then we just become lizard brain fuck monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> that, I'm happy you said that. There's just about everything uh, that is on the list can be addictive in and of itself. And when the internet first was, at least, well, not first built at the very very early days, but before there was a web browser, man, I was seriously addicted. Like I would go through withdrawal when when email went down, which happened like every 20 minutes. <laughs> Um, and, uh, there was a time when I got really stressed because I didn't know everything on the internet because there was a time when you could know every website. It was pretty mm. amazing. And then all of a sudden I was stressed for like two years. I'm like, Oh my God, there's so much. How will I ever keep up? Right. And that's that, that ring of power thing. And, mm. uh, I understand that information addiction, Paulo Coelho, whose name I also always say wrong, but amazing Coelho, mm -hmm. uh, really amazing author. He wrote a book called 11 minutes. Uh, which is about uh, basically addiction to BDSM. Oh, no written, way. Yeah, something like 30 books, but uh, I think I have the name of it right. I read it years ago, but it's about a um, um, like a, a woman who 
uh, goes off and like decides to have a bunch of sex and ends up like falling into BDSM and uh, a wise old master teaches her stuff about you know how addictive it is. So there are people who are you know, fully into that, and you know certainly we know about drug addiction. I don't know mm-hmm. anyone who's addicted to breathing. Um, I think we no, all it are totally there. happens. The, the to pra- breath work addiction, yeah, pranayama and kriya and and all sorts of things as and, an addiction. I've never seen that, dude. And and holotropic breath work has, was outlawed in France and at Esalen. For a time period, really, that's volatility. I have had more intense holotropic experiences, and of course, um, I did an event with Stan Groff where we had 150 people (laughs) doing breath his breath work. But I've seen more weird stuff on that than I have on any plant medicine in my life. So it's very powerful, but I wouldn't describe it as addictive. It's like you're worked over when you're done. So I'm surprised, but okay. So just for listeners, upgrade collective members. you know, <laughs> tread tread gently is all I'm saying here. Well, um, yeah, all these I things mean, can be really attractive. Make so haste, chocolate. make haste slowly, and also never forget in service of what. And so, my sense, my my advice, and I mean, we have a whole program actually on hedonic calendaring, which is how do you layer these things in from mild, medium to spicy through your year so that you have guardrails and you're not forever at war with your lizard brain impulses. Because if you just go in freestyle, you're done for. And and you can't even be like, oh, I've got my partner because your partner could be as into the pudding as you are. Like, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. You want to go back again? Yeah, let's go back again. So you don't even, you can't even trust. You you need a group of friends who talks about it. A community. Right, and guardrails. You need to, it's, it's Ulysses, you know, lashing himself to the mast and, and, and having his sailors and, and you know stick wax in their ears so he can hear the siren song. If he's like, no, I'm cool, I'm good, I'm going to be better than those other dumb bastards on the rocks, then he ends up on the rocks. So mm-hmm. you you have to to do the the Ulysses effect, and you have to you have to constrain your your most vulnerable tendencies ahead of time. So to your point, Dave, I mean this is this is the left hand path unpacked with 21st century Western neuroscience and psychology with some anthropological backstory. It is volatile. It And, and the only reason that I was, I don't know, I felt compelled to just take a crack at laying it out was because it feels like the, the hour is late and the stakes are high. And yeah, and there's there's all sorts of things, and everything from alcohol to uh, to oxycontin to you know global crises, where you're like the stakes are high. So we actually do need to take responsibility for ourselves, our growth, and our path. And yeah. these are just tools that people can hopefully, skillfully, with each other's support, make use of. One of the reasons it's called biohacking is that hackers are the ones who said, oh, we don't like not knowing what's inside Windows. Let's make Linux. (laughs) And so we need hackers to make stuff. And if you don't share the knowledge with people, it will be kept in certain places and then used against you. (laughs) So knowing that something is possible means that you can defend against it and use it for your good versus having it used against you. And yeah. so that's part of the the whole movement of saying, oh, it is possible to change someone's brain state with flashing lights and loud music. I wonder why they're doing that at the shopping <laughs> department where they're trying to get me to buy crap. Like, yeah. And they do this stuff. Why are casinos wired the way they are? Because they've figured some of this out too. So now, just like with Cialdini's influence book, if someone's using a technique you don't know exists, you can't defend against it. Once you know it exists, you can use it or you can block it. But that's why this open disclosure is really cool. 
And uh, that's why Recapture the Rapture is a really fascinating book because you really did boil down a whole lot of stuff <laughs> into the book. So congratulations. It was definitely a lot of work for you to do that, I can tell. Thanks, man. No, and, and, and a wild ride and a, and a fascinating, fascinating adventure too. Well, I appreciate you being back on Bulletproof Radio. Would you like to take a question or two from the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Let's see, Brandon wants another Harry Potter reference. Oh, guys, I, I'll, I'll give yeah. you a Harry Potter ref, reference on the addiction thing because I, I mentioned go. it in the book, which is um, Dumbledore says because because Harry finds in the Room of Requirement or something the Mirror of Erised, which is desire spelled backwards, and and, and he, of course he sees his parents that he's forever yearning for, and, and and Dumbledore comes up and he's like, "Be careful, Harry. Men have wasted away getting lost in that reflection, and that and that is comparable to getting lost in that information layer." Because it is so enticing, it is so entrancing, and it is so elevating, you know, both of the access to the, that kind of information, but also who am I to, to have access to that? So a sort of grandiosity. So it really is important to, you know, heed Dumbledore's caution about getting lost in the wishing well. Very, very well put. I got a question for you now from, uh, from Brandon. Brandon, here you go. No idea what he's going to say. <laughs> Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Brandon, here you go. No idea what he's going to say. <laughs> yeah, well, first off, uh, very interesting. I have your book in, in my card. I'm going to order it. Um, I like your work. Uh, I had a question about, uh, in regard to implementing the information uh, in your books and what you've been saying, um, how do you think, uh, or do you not think at all, in regard to uh, those sort of circumcision, like ritual practices that different cultures have had? Like, do you think it, it's important at all or it impacts things negatively or positively? I have my own thoughts, but I kind of want to know what you think about it in regard to if it could tamper with implementation of these things. So meaning just whether or not you're circumcised. Yeah. Like the, the act of it itself, if it could be uh, an impediment um, in regard to uh, employing your methods, employing the things that you've been talking about or what you think about in general too, I guess would be nice. Hmm. I mean, Short answer is I, I I don't know. I mean, I think it's fair to say that both um, the human, in fact, Wilder Penfield was one of the founders of neuroscience. And he created that famous homunculus, which is this really weird little dude, but it's mm -hmm. big lips, big hands, big feet, and and I think actually undersized junk. But fundamentally, it was supposed to represent how many neurons are in different parts in our body, right? So how much of our brain is wired up to different bits and pieces, and. A female clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings, male, the, the glands of a male penis has 7,000. So it's overwhelmingly the most concentrated place. So of course, we want to put our most electric bits together. And any efforts in childhood or, or, or puberty or anything else that 
surgically um, alter that um, are both going to have an impact of some kind and may also have some impact of trauma, depending on how lovingly it's held or how consciously it's processed. Um, beyond that, I, I, I don't know. Um, and my sense is, is regardless of where anybody is personally, I'm sure your body is beautiful and perfect and functional exactly as it is. And we're all making the most of what we have. Brandon, hopefully that was, uh, that was helpful. Um, there's, when you get into uh, really historical stuff, I have no idea if this is going to make it in the final edits this way. Being a live audience is fun. <laughs> um, if you look way back, like into the, the Egyptian stuff, um, cult of Mithras that came after that. So you guys never talk about the soul in the air because most people don't know Dude, about it. Let's do Mithras. Let's do it. <laughs> Uh, well, there's also, you know, th- there were temples uh, where you'd go, that, you know, where there were sacred prostitutes, and you'd go to a temple full of women specifically to have sex to go meet God. <laughs> and like, this is one of the different, you know, there are many different types of temples to different gods. But yeah, they, they've been doing that for a very long time, and they've you know, taken it out of polite society. But it, it seems like that's one of the ways that they were getting in touch with this going back thousands of years ago. And you get into the Mithras stuff, and what do you know about Mithras? I'm guessing you've probably looked into it quite a bit, given where your book ended up. Yeah, I mean, just just overwhelming overlaps with uh, the Nazarene, right? I mean, solar cults, sacrificial gods, um, all of those things. I think even to the point of his birth being in a manger and being attended by wise men who gave him gifts, you know, around December the 25th, right? Yeah, it it was pretty much, uh, well, let's just say that uh, Christianity uh, pretty much knocked off Mithras, as far as we can tell. If if you guys don't believe me, M-I-T-H-R-A-S, just Google it. (laughs) It's overwhelmingly obvious but it went away, like all all religions do eventually, unless they become systematized. Yeah. Um, well, Brandon, so, I, I, Brandon Gold yeah, Star you, you at, for the most tangential question I think I've ever received on a podcast. But I'm Gold Star. All right. <laughs> um, I, I just I, I look at at where ritual comes from and some of what I do and all that. And you've gone way deeper on that than I have. Uh, but uh, you you look at how we create cults, which is part of the book, and this is mostly for the uh, Upgrade Collective uh, listeners. We didn't get into that just because of time, but you talk mm-hmm. about you know, crazy cult building and things like that. So when you read the book, um, you'll figure that out too, and you can tell when people are trying to draw you into cults. I'll also tell you guys um, that I am not using any of those techniques with you. So who's our out community? Like, Who are the people we're against? There aren't any, right? Except for maybe vegans, just because they deserve it. I'm kidding. We're not even against those guys. We're actually going to help them, right? That's what's different, okay? Because you, when you have a movement in a community, you don't have to have an enemy, right? But that's one of the things that bad cults will do. So you'll learn about this in the book, uh, and it's uh, it's pretty cool stuff. So just kudos and thanks for writing a good one. Oh uh, yeah, my pleasure, and and I'm and I'm super glad to get to kick it around with you because um, you know you 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 know where all the the Easter eggs connect. Uh, I, at least I, I, I hope I do. And if there's someone I don't know, maybe you know and you'll tell me. Uh, I do have uh, one more one more thing, uh, if you have time for it. You said that there were some things you wanted to ask me about. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you know what those were? I, I'm happy to, to go another 10, 15 minutes. I don't know how many people in the collective can hang out, but you guys can, can go on that. Let's, let's chat. Maybe we'll... Oh, absolutely. Dude, because you, you buried the lead last time, which was we, we got into Delta Wave activity. You talked about 40 years of Zen, and then you said, no, we don't necessarily just teach that to anybody. So that is such a fun neck of the woods. So what is your understanding of Delta Wave activity? What have your experiences been, both within your own 
your own work, but then also you know the backstory to MK Ultra and all the other places it it bubbled up, and and talk to me. So I'd, I'd love to just hear your your side of that. This is uh, so, so when we talk about brain states, it's really easy to simplify, um, kind of like you say protein, right? Well, what kind of protein was it? Spider venom. <laughs> <laughs> that might do something a little bit different uh, than some other kind of protein. So uh, when you talk about delta waves, well, which of them are we talking about, right? And when you get into the very, very, very ones, like one wave every 10 seconds, there's a bunch of foundational fundamental work to be done there around slow cortical potential, which is technically delta, or you call it very, very, very slow delta. And we actually do some of that training at 40 years of Zen, which can probably permanently, at least for long periods of time, increase the voltage in your brain. <laughs> like your cortical potential goes up, which is really cool. That's part of the performance enhancement stage of 40 years of Zen. And then when you look at Delta, you look at where in the brain it's occurring and not just hemispherical, but specific uh, small areas in the brain using like a 24 channel system. And then you can also train it at certain frequencies that I'm not uh, going to disclose here <laughs> um, because, frankly, they're dangerous. Uh, but they're, they're frequencies that give you uh, probably way more, um, way more abilities than you should have. And the people I know who've done that kind of training, not including me, um, pretty much go in one of two directions. They're either like walking enlightened angel people or they're Darth Vader's. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I've, I know one person who was probably already a sociopath who did it uh, and is now absolutely definitely a sociopath. <laughs> you're like, man, it's that, you know, it'll make you more of what you are. That old, that old book uh, that you might've seen, it was ever so much more so spray. You ever, you ever see that book? No, it's a it's a very, it's a young kid's book about a traveling salesman who has this can of ever so much more so spray, and you spray it on anything, and it makes it more of what it is. Hmm. So you spray it on a hinge, and either it becomes noisier or the door closes more quickly, depending on how you look at it. Hmm. Right? Okay. So so so, dude. So so, a, I mean, yes, I completely agree. Like any of these experiences that offer that true kind of white light reset, if they, you know, if they don't crack you open with tears of gratitude and an expanded heart. you know, you, you're pretty much a sociopath. And so it's either like Bodhisattva or Sith Lord seem yep. like the only forks in the road as you, as you take it down to this level. And the techniques for brainwashing are indistinguishable from the techniques to al for alchemy. Right. That's the problem here. Even some of the, the drugs, I'm not sure so much ketamine, but you know, LSD and, and mushrooms and all, they make you more suggestible. So who are you doing it with? <laughs> <laughs> that might matter greatly. Okay. Just saying. So but, I'm, now, now I'm a little concerned skills, about people who rely on those. What what yeah. skill sets um, were you, you so, so keep the frequency specifics under wraps, but what were the skill mm -hmm. sets? Because obviously in the MK Ultra era, they were talking about telekinesis, psi, you know, psi capacities, you know, a bunch of different things. And that was always in the men who stare at goats bucket. All of the yogic cities. Mm -hmm. uh, S-I-D-H-I-S uh, live down in that region in association with other brain waves at higher frequencies. So it's about knowing the combinations, mm -hmm. right? And just I've committed, I'm not training people on the low stuff uh, because of that. But I can tell you when I wire up someone who comes in and says, my life is like this, I'm like, yep, that person has high delta in those ranges. And magically they do. 
<laughs> I don't know why, but things just always work out for me. And they pull up on their private jet and you're like, and, and your parents didn't buy that for you. Oh no, no. <laughs> Those kind of people. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. I, I, I just went surfing at Kelly Slater Surf Ranch with one of those guys. Uh, nice. Just forever bumbling through his life in the groove. Yeah, and everything just lines and, up everywhere they go. And there are just, people like that, and there are techniques to learn that. I mean, okay, I, so, I, so now let's get beyond the, the the sort of um, reductionist materialist description of we're just slinging delta wave frequencies in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Why? What is your working model as to what you think is happening in those states? Uh, where are they accessing or what capacities are they bringing online or where are they smuggling in the juju from? Hmm. I don't, I don't know that I know aware. Uh, what I, what I do know is that a lot of the brainwaves we have are, are riding on other brainwaves uh, and there's, there's interactions like field level interactions that we don't quite understand yet. Um, so, I would say that's that's dealing into the realm of why is it there? I don't know, but just like you look at something like gamma, gamma isn't actually a, a brain frequency. Uh, this is a very fast frequency. It rides on lower frequencies. So you have to have a lower frequency and then it vibrates a little bit, right? And it's probably fractal. And there's octaves of all these things going on. And I don't know that we have enough machine learning capacity to figure all that out, but people are working on it really quickly, like uh, Brian, uh, who you talked about uh, from Kernel. And we may uh, we may discover some really scary stuff uh, when we do enough machine learning on brainwaves, and I'm actually concerned about that uh, because, uh, well, <laughs> there, there's some stuff in there that normally takes a lifetime to tap into, and I don't know what I would do if I had a wizard's powers uh, when I was 16 years old, uh, but it probably wouldn't have been very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that with great power comes great responsibility. And that's, um, this is that those are the brainwave states where there's great power. They're also the ones that are foundational and driving most of your body rhythms. So you trash someone's Delta. Um, it could really be disruptive and ungrounding and, and break a lot of stuff. So what you end up doing, uh, you end up doing, if you're doing it right, is you kind of start at the top and you're like, oh, let's work on organizing and suppressing your beta, right? And putting it in the right places in your brain. Like, let's get you through the alpha. Let's get rid of your traumas. And you get someone who's actually not responding traumatically to the world. They'll naturally start organizing their delta. And when I say organizing, you look at area under the curve in the brain, it's about efficiency, right? It's not about power necessarily. So if you can more efficiently use things, what I'll usually see when someone has a big breakthrough at 40 years of Zen is the area underneath their delta drops dramatically because all the power the brain was kind of throwing into just floating around the delta, it's like, screw that noise, and it puts it into some other frequency range. So you see the huge shifts. Delta usually drops, but when it drops, it changes its nature. It changes where it is. And that's when people usually have a profound spiritual transcendent experience. And something like, 80, 90%, I forget the exact number from our surveys, of people who are doing this cognitive enhancing neurofeedback, um, they're experiencing transcendent experiences during the process, usually at a moment of really heavy forgiveness and trauma release, which is, uh, which is remarkable because how could trauma release be performance enhancing? Because you stop wasting energy on the trauma, right? But will your oh, delta yeah. go up? Maybe, maybe not. Will it go down? Maybe, maybe not. Will it change its nature and become more orderly? It probably will if you're doing it right. And the more orderly it is, it appears the more of those those powers you mentioned, the yogic cities, um, the more of those come online. 
So it's a yeah. I mean, and that, that sort of thing. leads us. And, and once we get comfortable enough that we have protocols that deliver deliver some you know a subject in reliably into interesting places, then we can start. You know, we, we're no longer fixating on the protocols. We're like, okay, now let's start mapping and and hypothesizing about the interesting places. And and so whether it's Henri Bergson and you know and Aldous Huxley's reducing valve of consciousness and you're expanding more, or even David Eagleman recently has talked about that dualist model of mind, which is not just that everything is synapses and neurons and complexity arising from our wetware, but maybe we're a receiver of some form to some you know non-local information layer, and that puts you into Wheeler's physics, you know, it's from bits information theory of of the universe. Like, totally. Hmm. There totally is a non-local information layer, and I'm just going to have to say it out there. It's been written about in all these, every old tradition has it. Shamans go to the underworld, and there's places you'd go there. Uh, there's the Book of Knowledge in the Bible, and probably more people who do esoteric stuff would call it the Akashic Records. Um, those are a real place <laughs> where human knowledge <laughs> sits, and you can go there. And there are people who are very good at going there very quickly. I have friends who can go there in under 10 seconds and get knowledge that they didn't have. And I was a little skeptical of this. And years ago, in some of the preparatory work for opening 40 Years of Zen, I met a woman who did that kind of stuff. And I was a little skeptical. And mm-hmm. I said, what do you do for work? And she said, I work for Hewlett Packard's Advanced R&D Division. And I said, hmm, um, I know a lot about that kind of stuff. So like, like what kind of scientist are you? And she goes, I'm not a scientist, I'm a psychic. I go, what do you mean you work for their advanced R&D? Oh. And she wow. said, when they get stuck on a problem of advanced physics, like how to move a single atom, they call me and I ask the Akashic Records and I tell them the answer. That's outstanding. That's like psychic. She, she wasn't lying. Yeah. <laughs> she was absolutely telling the truth because I watched her do it with, with me. I'm like, holy crap, this woman's speaking a different language. This is so cool. Can most people do that? Maybe. I don't really know. But we specialize. In, in my work, the fourth F word uh, around friend is <laughs> really important. So it's okay if you don't see angels and talk to the Akashic Records and hack your delta waves until you levitate. It doesn't freaking matter. <laughs> like, Do what you're here to do. <laughs> and whatever you need to do comes online if you're doing the right work. Uh, and um, so yeah, I, I absolutely know that. And I have learned how to go there. It's not easy for me. It takes, I have to wire my brain up. But I'll tell you, the outline for my very first book, uh, gee, I snapped right out of that specific brain state that puts you in the Akashic Records, wrote the entire outline for the book <laughs> within 10 minutes after coming out of two hours of the 40 Years of Zen training. So yeah, it, it's all in there. Yeah, it's all in the pudding. In fact, do you yeah. know uh, Bruce Damer, uh, the... NASA researcher. He, he's he's a he's no. he's a burner. He's, he lives down in Santa Cruz. He's he was good buddies with Leary and McKenna. Holds their libraries as well as a bunch of early Silicon Valley um, oh, computer cool. tech. But he uh, he was describing to me. He he's actually recently invented, and I think it was it was published in Scientific American and a, and a bunch of peer reviewed journals. A new theory of the origins of life, and it was fundamentally not that it was like thermal vents in the bottom of the ocean, but it was hot springs, and it was this constant up and down of like you know rising and sinking tides of like heat proximity space mutation heat proximity space mutation and it's been proven out and it's now kind of completely revamping the whole you know paleobiology of origins of life on earth that came to him in a high-end state 
And he was basically wow. shown the nature of reality. And it was like this interactive experience with Socratic questions. So he got this full gestalt hit, comes back, speaks to his research partner, and he's like, fucking hell, this seems like a ridiculous hypothesis. How will we ever find out? And then six months later, an Australian team reaches out on professional bulletin boards. It's like, we've just discovered proof and evidence of the very thing that you just put out a bulletin on and said you were looking for. Um, and then they looped back around, went to Australia, and now they have, you know, conclusive evidence of the very thing that he he apprehended in the, you know, quote unquote, Akashic field. And you're like, hmm, that deserves further, further inquiry, I think. You know, the same thing, um, you know, Steve Jobs doing acid, Larry and Sergey doing acid, uh, the found, uh, the founding of, or the discovery of DNA. These are all altered states things. And the people who are envisioning the future and <clears throat> doing what the aboriginals call dreaming the future, <laughs> they're actually doing that. <laughs> and you can tap into it in certain altered states, sometimes with drugs and medicines, sometimes with drumming, sometimes with breathing, probably with all the stuff we just talked about, certainly with certain precise states in the brain. Yep, it's doable. And it's maybe not something everyone's ever going to do and maybe something everyone shouldn't always do. Uh, but the fact that it's possible deserves scientific inquiry free of shame and judgment like it's mostly had for the last 50 or 60 years. Yeah. Well, I think that would be the next Copernican revolution, right? Is that, is that we realize we're not just our meat suits and our egoic identities and that we're forever, um, potentially, you know, this is all hy hypothetical, but, you know, um, if we could come up with a functioning and interactive model that people could effectively upload as new software, that that would be comparable to hominids discovering language, you know, because before we had language, we were still monkeys. We still had to get glucose to the brain. We still had to void sharp fangs and big drops. So our meat suits were unchanged, but then we discovered linguistics and we had abstraction and time sense and, and, and awe and philosophy and technology and science and all the things were built on linguistics. And then what would happen if we then uploaded whatever you want to call it, informatics, like, you know, like how do we actually plug into the neosphere intentionally? And how do we harvest the information we gain from there, not just the occasional genius who stumbled their way in or hacked their way in, but all of us everywhere. What would that look like? Probably something better than we have now. Um, but then again, <laughs> that's a low bar, right? Well, I mean, the, the Kardashians is canceled, right? So we've got to come up with something better. All right. Maybe it'll be uh, Fear Factor 2. Can't wait. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you, Upgrade Collective, for um, being in this audience for a relatively long, but hopefully engaging and fun uh, uh, edition of Bulletproof Radio. I'll see you all on one uh, coming up here. Jamie, we'll probably cut this into a couple of pieces too. You'll just be monopolizing the show for a while. Look what you did. <laughs> Dude, I'm so, I'm so glad we got that last lap in. That was, that was that awesome. That was fun. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Joanne. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, everybody. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. 
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.